Uh, well, good evening, everybody, those watching online, those here. Uh, man, that girl's adorable. And uh, a couple things stand out. I have no idea who this girl is. That was a YouTube clip I found. It, it, it would be good for tonight, I thought. And uh, it's adorable. She's, you know, sharing the nursery rhyme that a lot of us had learned about. You know, this is the church, deep, open doors, see all the people. She's adorable. She's cute. The only problem is she's absolutely wrong. She's totally wrong, right? And some of you are tracking with me. Some of you are going, what do you mean she's wrong? You're so mean, you know? And it's like, no. We were all taught that little rhyme with great intentions. The problem is it's not really biblically accurate. If you wanted to be biblically accurate, you would say, this is the church, right? Because the church isn't the building. The church is the people. So it would be, here is the church. It's God's people. And sometimes they meet in a building with a steeple. That would be more accurate. That would be more accurate. So if you're going to be teaching kids that kind of stuff, you might want to modify that uh, so that it could be more accurate. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, tonight, just an accurate understanding of the church. As we continue in our Living New series, uh, we're framing everything in from what we call the fruit of new life, these characteristics that we believe uh, we grow in as we grow in our relationship with Christ, that we grow as beloved children and self-feeder. Tonight, we're talking about growing as a servant, and as a servant, uh, you're going to see the church as a place where you grow as a servant because we're, we're a servant of God, but we're also a servant of the people in and out of the church. Uh, the people don't have to worry about getting on the inside because the church is busy trying to get on the outside, you know, uh, more to, to the, what that girl was saying. Now, what is the church? Let's just talk about that for a minute. And, and, and let's just look at the very first time that the word church even appears in the Bible. And the first time church is mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He's talking to the apostle Peter. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, and he's not talking about Peter as the rock. He's talking about the confession that Peter gave of Christ being uh, the Messiah. On this rock, I will build my, guess what it is? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. Some of you know that. And uh, ekklesia means called out ones. It's a gathering of people, an assembly of people that have been called out for a specific purpose. That's what the word church means. It's not a reference to a building. So to be more biblically accurate, we understand that uh, the church is a reference to the people of God, not a place of God. And so we don't need to worry about going to church because as followers of Christ, we are the church. This is the church. It's the people of God. And we understand that church is something both that has a local context, that we interact with the church on a local level. This is a local gathering among many that have happened today of a local gathering of believers. I was just at one like an hour and a half ago, another gathering of a local believer. There's local gatherings. And then there's also the global church. All people in all places that belong to the Lord. And so we're going to look at this understanding of the church today. And we need to understand, and this is where I want to frame this in even further for us, that the church, as the people of God, is a community of servants. We're, we're a community of servants, servants of God, servants uh, to people who share the good news of Christ and do good works in Christ. Now, if you were to... Um, be following along our Living News series, which hopefully all of you have this book. Hopefully all of you are following along. Uh, there's a little description of the church here. On page 122, it says, The local church is a caring community of mutually accountable Christ followers who come together to be sent on mission for the purpose of worship, witness, nurture, 
and restoration. And as you dive into your study this week, you'll find a lot of helpful insights to understand more about the true nature of the church. Now, if we want to use more biblical imagery, you know, this is all cute and everything, um, but if we want to use biblical imagery that we see in Scripture, uh, these are the things we kind of see to describe the church. We see the church as a family. It's the family of Christ, and Jesus is the leader. We see the church as the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. We see the church as a spiritual building, not a physical building, but a spiritual building where Jesus is the foundation. We see the church as a bride because Jesus is the groom. We see the church as the flock of Christ and Jesus is the shepherd. These are great images. These are helpful descriptions that help us uh, have a better understanding of the church. I want to take you to a passage right now in Scripture that gives us even additional understanding and depth uh, and description of what the church is. So I invite right now to join me in 1 Peter chapter 2, all right? So uh, join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to see even more descriptions of the church here in just a few verses. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 9 through 12. So join me there. And as we're getting there, what we're about to see is that the church, the people of God, has a very special nature. There's a special nature that is true of the church. And as we read through these verses, I want you guys to just really put your radar on and be sensitive to the language that describes the church and what God calls the church to be, just based, just based on these few verses, And we know that Scripture is rich in even further uh, verses, but these are just a few. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you've given us very specific instructions and guidance in your word. Lord, that we uh, not only can learn more about what the church is, but exactly how we are the church, part of the church, your body. And God, I pray that as we spend time here tonight, whether we're uh, live or uh, online, God, that you help us all be motivated about how to further our investment, further our engagement in your body as your children. And Lord, for anyone here, anyone watching online that does not know you personally, does not have the assurance of forgiveness of sins, has not experienced new life in Christ. God, uh, may today be a day that you either plant a seed, water a seed, or harvest a seed for those people who need to know you. And so, God, we thank you for tonight. We ask you to guide us and teach us. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, This passage speaks to the very special nature of the church. And what we see about this community of servants that we belong to is that first we have a special identity. We have a special identity. Look again at verses 9 and 10, and you will see several uh, pieces of language that are phenomenal. They are spectacular phrases that used to be exclusive for Israel, but now also include those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we see this in verse 9. You, and that's plural, by the way. That's not singular. That's a plural use. So the old text in y'all, all of us, right? Um, You are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God. 
They have phenomenal titles that give more description and understanding to the special identity of the church, the people of God. So let's just look at those each briefly. Uh, We're called the chosen generation. This is an echo of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 7, which was specific to Israel. And the Greek word there for generation is the word genos, which means generation or kind or race. And so this is a group of people that have been selected not by uh, their heritage, not by good looks, not by good works, strictly because God says, I'm going to choose. I'm going to select. And go, so God has selected people for his salvation. And um, that applies to the body of Christ because uh, we are now part of that chosen generation. So this is a corporate identity. This is a new people from all people, the global church, every race, nation, tongue. And so the church is this chosen community made up of chosen individuals for the salvation of the Lord for his glory. And if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, you're, you're being invited in to this chosen generation to, to be part of the Lord's family. And so we're called a chosen generation. How cool is it that God has chosen us, that he selected us, he picked us, right? Uh, we also see here that we're a royal priesthood. Now, this is a really interesting title. We're a royal priesthood. This echoes uh, Exodus 19.6, where God speaks of Israel and says that he will raise up a kingdom of priests. Now, because this is the kingdom of the king, it's a royal identity. And so for those people who have faith in Christ, uh, who is the son of God, we now are made royal because of our faith in Christ. We're in Christ, so we're now heirs to uh, the Lord in Christ. There's royalty, spiritual royalty, that's now been applied to us, but not just being royal, royal priest. Uh, God has taken these two, what sometimes you see as opposing offices. You've got priest and royalty. Sometimes they were opposed to one another. And in Christ, they've actually been melded together now. And you have this group of, of um, royal priests. And so think about a priest. When you study the role of a priest in the Bible, you see a role that's very unique. The priest had exclusive access to God, right? They were the ones that went into the Holy of Holies. They're the ones that made the offerings for the people. They had exclusive access to God in worship. But when Christ came and, and, and he, he died on the cross and rose from the grave, he really uh, took apart that official office and made it available for all. Now, the office of priest is one that serves. They serve God. They serve the people. And now in Christ, we have this official office that's been removed because now all believers in Christ have access to God. Because now, instead of all these different people being the mediators between God and man, which was what priests were, now Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man, right? We see that in Scripture. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so any church, any religious system that sets up something outside of that is not operating biblically. We, we only, you're welcome, okay? Uh, I, I feel the same way. Uh, we have access directly through Christ. It's in the name of Jesus that we have access to the Father. And so we don't need a priest, a prophet, a pope, or any office to mediate between us and God. 
God's invited us all now to enter into through faith in Christ. And so that's been made possible through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And so because Jesus is the king of kings, because Jesus is the priest of priests, which by the way, if you ever read like Hebrews, Hebrews really uh, elevates the office of priest um, of Christ, then he gives the special identity of being royal priesthood, of having a royal priesthood to his followers. Now we're these holy priestly um, or royal priestly servants. And so we serve Christ by serving his body. We serve Christ by serving the people both inside and outside the ecclesia. We serve each other, but we also are called to serve those in the world that don't know Christ. And so we're this royal priesthood. And so we share the good news of Christ and we do the good works of Christ because we're a royal priesthood. We also see here that we're called a holy nation. Now, we're not talking a nation with geographical boundaries. These are spiritual boundaries. This is a nation because it's a group of people, not because they live in a certain place with certain boundaries, but now they're a nation, a a group of people with a common nationality. We have a common nationality spiritually in Christ, which makes us a holy nation. So God has set up Israel to be unique. Israel is a unique country with unique promises, a unique plan from the Lord. But now us non-Jews have been grafted in to the promises of God through faith in Christ. So whereas uh, being Jewish gave you a physical um, birth into a spiritual family, now faith in Christ gives you a spiritual birth into the spiritual family, making us part of a holy nation, a special group of people set apart for the Lord, which gives us the understanding of the next phrase, it's a people of God. Like ultimately, the church, the church is the people of God. It's the people of God. When you look at verse 9, it says that he has gathered these people for his own possession. We belong to God. Uh, verse 10 calls us God's people. And so when you think about the church, you're talking about a treasured people, a special people, a distinct uh, group of people, privileged people, peculiar, belonging to the Lord, purchased by Christ for Christ. And so before belief in Christ, before conversion, uh, we are not the people of God. But once you come to faith in Christ and you are part of this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this people of God, you are now uh, part of the Lord's family, part of the church. And so that's a good understanding of our special identity. Now, why do we have a special identity? Was it just so that we could be like, oh, wow, we're special? No, God's given us a purpose. He's given us a very special purpose. The church has specific, special purposes that God outlines in Scripture. But what we see in this passage is this. We see a twofold part of our special purpose. We see basically that we're supposed to exercise the special purposes that God has for us with our words, and we're to exercise the special purposes that God has for us with our works. All right? So let's break those apart for our words. Look at verse 9. Look at the back half of that. Uh, Why has God given us a special identity? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. To proclaim, to to, to speak forth the excellencies of him who called us. The excellencies mean the qualities, the attributes, the praises. So we are to give praise to God with our mouth. And I don't know if you understand that, like there's power there. There's great power when you just speak, and not in a cheesy, weird, ultra-religious way, like, if you say pray Jesus to everything, that's going to be a little weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you get pulled over for a ticket and the cop gives you a ticket, it's like, oh, well, praise Jesus. It's like, that's weird. <laughs> you know? 
But if, but if it's authentic, if you really can say, man, praise God, and here's what God's done, and man, I've seen the Lord doing this. When you start to brag on who God is, and you brag on what he's done, it makes an impact. Uh, years ago, I had a, a reunion. I was reunited with a, a, a stepsister that I had. And she knew that I was a follower of Christ. She, she was not a follower of Christ. And we started having these phone conversations because our relationship was renewed uh, since childhood. And because I'm just, I love Jesus and because I can't help but brag on who God is, I would just say things along the lines of, man, man, God really did this. And I saw God show up here. And I didn't overdo it, but it would be part of my conversation. And one time she just stopped me and she goes, do you really believe that? I'm like, what do you mean? Because I didn't know what she was talking about. It's like, you've been talking about how like, God does this stuff for you. Like, do you really believe that God does these things in your life? I said, absolutely. I have no doubt. And that just really was a turning point for her to start to explore the Christian faith. Next thing I know, she's going to a Christian church. Um, I still think she has to, to find faith in Christ. But there was something that happened because simply, I was just praising God with my mouth. And so as you think about your relationship with the Lord, in a very authentic, non odd way? Do you just kind of uh, give God praises? Do you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you? So God calls us to lift him up, right? Uh, Also, not just with our words, but with our works. Let's revisit uh, verses 11 through 12 here. Look at how God calls us to proclaim him and live out a special purpose with our works. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good, what? Deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, we have two interesting words that kind of start this section. Sojourners, right? This, this means that you're, you're um, aliens. This isn't your home. You're, you're exiles. You're, you're strangers. Some Bible translations will say strangers and aliens, and this is a really uh, important concept for us to understand because the language echoes what we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Abraham, the, 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 the man that God used to found the Hebrew nation, he was an alien. He was a sojourner. He went around traveling among other people's land until God brought the Hebrew people into the promised land. And so he was this nomad living among other people in, in, in their land. He was, he was an exile, or he was um, a sojourner, an alien. And then it also echoes what we saw of Israel when they were taken into captivity. And when they were um, basically in Egypt, and when they were in Babylon, they were in exile. And this is kind of a mindset that, quite honestly, I know I forget, I'm sure all of us forget at times, like, this world's not our home, right? We're citizens of heaven when we're in Christ. Man, my heaven's our home, and, and the Father is our king. You know what I'm saying? And so we think different. Sometimes we forget, and we start to become part of this world. And what the world values and what the world's about, we start to make that what we value and what we're about instead of for, you know, remembering that we're sojourners, we're traveling through. Now, if you've ever been on a short-term missions trip or if you've ever traveled abroad, you've experienced this on some level, Right? Think about times where you've been in a different culture, all right? You go to this different culture, and there's some really beautiful things to embrace about those cultures. Like you go there, and you go, man, you, you might learn the different language. You might start to have some different food. You might eat things that you never, you don't even know what they're called. You have no idea what it is. You put that in your mouth. You think, I don't even know what I'm eating, but you're enjoying it. Maybe there's games or customs um, that you embrace and, and participate in because, you know, there's beautiful parts of other cultures, 
But at some point, you might be invited into something that you know would be offensive to God or would be immoral or sinful, and you say, but I'm not going to cross that line. So I'm going to embrace the beauty of this culture, but I'm not going to embrace uh, the things that are going to offend God that might be in this culture. That's exactly what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. That all these, the, these fleshly lusts that the world says, go for it. You, you indulge and then justify it somehow, right? You deserve it. You know, well, you know, and on and on and on. So what happens is we live in this world and we embrace the beautiful things of this world. We embrace the relationships that God wants us to have. We, we enjoy the, the beauty of this world. We enjoy a lot of the experiences of this world, whether it's man, on a sailboat or an airplane or hiking through the woods or just a great, cup of, uh, a great conversation over a cup of coffee. Like There's so many things that are so beautiful in this world, but then we go, there's certain practices and certain customs and certain things that this world tells us we should do, but we know better. We know better because we're from a different home. And the Lord is our king, and he wouldn't want us to participate in that. And so that's really the understanding of how we're supposed to walk through this life. One of the examples that helped me understand this really well is that to live as a Christian is really to, like, to try to live as a boat, all right? And here's the, here's the thing. If you think about a boat, what's the purpose of a boat? It's to get in the water, right? You put a boat in the water. If a boat's out of the water, some of you who, who like to sail and like boats, you're probably crying right now because you're pulling your boats out of the water, right? Um, you know, but when you put the boat in the water and it floats and it transports you from point A to point B, and you need to go fishing or sailing or just enjoy some friends on the water, you're, you're fulfilling the purpose of the boat. It's, it's awesome. The problem is what happens when the water starts to come into the boat, now we got a problem, right? Because that's not intended. And if water starts to pour into the boat, then the boat gets immobilized or the boat sinks. So the boat's supposed to be in the water, but the water's not supposed to be coming into the boat. That's really a description of how we're to live this life as followers of Christ in this world. We're supposed to be in the world. That's our purpose. God's purpose is to put us in the world. And we're not supposed to be pulled out and put on a trailer somewhere and stuck in some shed, you know? We're supposed to be in the world, making a difference, being salt, being light, interacting with people. But we don't want the world to start pouring into our boat. And once we let those values, and once we start to let those practices, and once we start to let those behaviors and all those things start to pour into our boat, our boat starts to sink. And that's when we become distant from God. That's when we become um, you know, uh, an ineffective person who's not making a difference in this world for Christ. We have the special purpose that our works are supposed to have an impact on the world around us. The reason some of us aren't having the impact that God has designed us to is because there's too much water in our boat. I mean, just take your pick, whether it's our marriages. I mean, there's, there's marriages of, of people of faith that, man, the love and commitment and morality and all those things that are supposed to be there aren't there. Or maybe it's, it's your social life or your social decisions. Or maybe it's your, your attitude and practice with um, substances or alcohol. Or maybe it's uh, the way you use your words and all those things. There's things that you're doing that people are going, I thought you were about Jesus, but clearly there's all this water in your boat. And then we want to know why they don't want to get it in the boat. Because we've got all the water in the boat. And so we're not making the impact that we could. And what happens is you start to see that over a long course of time and you start to get some ugly statistics. Like right now, if you think about it, here's just some of the statistics out there right now that are kind of plaguing the Christian body. One, some statistics are showing that only 90% of Christians share their faith. 90%. I mean, if you think about that, if, if, if we say that Jesus has come into our life and changed our life, we would be excited about that. Like we're excited about the Indians right now, right? 
We were excited about the Cavs. We're excited about the Indians. And right now, everybody's talking about the Indians because it's something that excites us. If you don't talk about Jesus, then you're not excited about Jesus. Like, look, we can dialogue and argue about that all day and night, but that's the bottom line, right? If you're not talking about Jesus, if you're not talking about what he's done in your life, if you're not talking about the new life he's given you, then you're probably not excited about Jesus. If you're not excited about Jesus, then you need to really ask yourself, did you fully give yourself to Christ? And so that's the statistic we need to look at and go, we're not having the impact. Maybe it's because there's a lot of water in the boat. Another statistic that's out there, and, and, and LifeWay's done a bunch of research, it shows that thousands of churches will probably shut their doors in the years to come. It shows that statistically that the percentage of people who attend worship services will be going down in the years to come. And right now, only 20% of the churches in the United States are growing. 20%. Like, if you were only going to keep 20% of your income starting tomorrow, you'd probably have a problem with that, right? Imagine if only 20% of the churches are growing, and of that 20%, only 1% is from actually new people coming to Christ. The other 19% are just Christians deciding they want to try a different church or moving church to church, or moving across the states, or whatever. I mean, these are statistics that should really disturb us and go, no, not on our watch, because God's given us a special purpose. He's given us a special purpose, how to live out our faith and be effective for the Lord. And we've got to do it with our words, and we have to do it with our works. We have to let our conduct, the way we live our life, represent Christ well. Think about it this way. As a Christian, your life is an advertisement for Christ. That's it. Your life is an advertisement for Christ. What people see in you, the, the, what you promote, that's what you're advertising about Jesus. And so we have to be very careful about what we're advertising, what we're saying with our mouth, and what we're doing with our works, because God's given us a special purpose. Now, we have the special identity that we see in this passage as the church, the people of God, this community of servants. We have the special purpose that God's given us, that we're to really share the good news of Jesus and do good works in Jesus, right? It's our words and our works. But here's the other thing we see here. We have a special motivation to do so. We have a special motivation to do so. Go back to verse 9. It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, that should be our motivation. Sharing the good news of Jesus and doing good works in Jesus' name come easy because of who we were and where we were and where Christ has taken us and who we are now because of Christ. Because he's taken us from... I mean, look at verse 10. I mean, it goes on. It's the verse 10 that once you've received mercy... Like, think about that for a second. Before you're in Christ, God's wrath is aimed at you. God's wrath is pointing at you. It's aimed at you. And whether it's the return of Christ or whether it's you dying... At that point in time, if Christ comes back or you die while God's wrath is aimed at you because of sin, then you're going to spend eternity apart from God in a place of torment. The Bible teaches because you rejected him and wanted to remain under his wrath. And you used whatever philosophy or thinking to justify it, but God's going, I gave you all the chances you needed, but you just pushed it away and you rejected. But because of God's love, because of his grace, because of his mercy, Jesus came and on the cross... He took that wrath aimed at us. He took the wrath upon himself in our place. That's the significance of the cross, right? And then his resurrection proved that he had the authority to take on God's wrath. Now, for those people in Christ who've put their faith in Christ, the wrath of God is not aimed at them anymore, but it's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. It's the forgiveness of God. 
And so we once were people who had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And that's why we have no problem serving Christ and living out this purpose because of what he's done for us. It compels us. Let me put it another way. Let me throw up the lyrics to a very well-known popular song that we've sang in church for years and years and years. Okay, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, here's the problem with that awesome song. I don't think we really believe that. I think some of us in this room either don't believe it or we've forgotten it. I think about this for a second. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Time out. How many of us really know that we're a wretch? See, that's, that, well, wow, cool. I didn't expect hands. Okay, <laughs> I am wretched. I'm wretched. You got me. I'm... See, the problem is we typically go like this. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, I, I could be worse. And we have to understand and come back to the biblical understanding that without God, we're wretched. We're broken. We're sinful. Everything in us naturally wants to run from God. Everything in us wants to lie and deceive and manipulate and hide and blame. That's who we are at our core in our sinful state. We're wretched. And so, man, God saved us. It was his grace that saved us. And when you have people going like, amazing grace, how sweet the sun, saved a wretch like me. I'm like, I think we lost the conviction that we are a wretch without Christ. And we go on saying, I once was lost. I'm thinking some people are going, I don't know if I really was lost. Maybe I want to change that until I was once slightly misdirected. <laughs> I once was, you know, temporarily disoriented, you know? But now I'm, no. Without Christ, we're lost. Amen. We're lost, man. And we're trying to find, you know, and, and here's what we do. We start reading books from other lost people going, maybe they have the answer. And we click on the TV and we watch the feed looking at all these lost people trying to tell us how to be found. You got lost people trying to tell lost people how to be found. Christ found us. Amen. God found us in Christ. We once were lost, but now we're found. Was blind, but now I'm seeing. And again, I think some of us are going, I don't know if I was ever blind. I might have been a little blurry-eyed. Might have had a little something in my eye for a minute. But it's like, no. The Bible is very clear that when you don't have Christ in your life, when you don't have a relationship with God, you are absolutely spiritually blind. You have no spiritual vision. You can't understand. When I didn't have Christ in my life, I didn't understand spiritual things. I was blind. But once I came to a point and admitted that I was a wretch, admitted that I was lost, admitted that I was blind, and received the mercy that God offered me, he saved me, he found me, and he gave me spiritual sight and vision. Like when we sing that song, we need to dig down deep and go, I was a wretch and I was lost and I was blind. And when we realize that and we realize how far Christ has brought us, we are compelled to serve Christ. We can't help but speak of Christ. We can't help but do good things because we love Jesus. And the reason some of us may not be doing good things in Jesus' name and the reason some of us may not be um, you know, expressing with our mouths how good God is is because we never saw ourselves as a wretch that was lost, that was blind. But once we get back in touch with who we are in our fallen state, it should kick in and go, man, God did a lot for me. And because of that, I have this special motivation to live for him. You know, Jesus once said, he who is forgiven little loves little. I wonder if it's also true that he who is forgiven little serves little. He who is forgiven little shares Christ little. Little. 
Maybe we've forgotten just how much we've been forgiven. Maybe the reason we're not sharing or we're not doing the things that God wants us to is because we just forgot how far he brought us. My brothers, my sisters, he's brought us far. And we didn't deserve an ounce. The only thing we do in response is just to lift him up and fulfill the special purpose in our life. Man, the church, this group, (laughs) has a special identity. We have a special identity. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's people. We belong to him. He's given us a special purpose to, to proclaim his excellencies and to do good deeds so that people can glorify God. And we had the special motivation to do so. Now, I want to give you a living picture of what that looks like. Now, those of you who've been at CVC for a while have heard and have participated in living out God's special purpose for us in Western Ukraine. It's just one of many things that God's done in and through CVC over the years. Here's a brief review for some of you who might not be familiar. Years ago in our church, there was a couple that was attending named Emery and Clara Laszlo. Now, Emery was working in Cleveland as a research chemical engineer. They have five kids. They've got seven grandkids, two more grandkids on the way. And they were living the American dream, if you will. But because they realized their special identity in Christ, because they realized that God had a special purpose for them and they had a very special motivation to do something more, they wanted to embrace it. And so they applied to the International Mission Board and were appointed missionaries to the Ukraine. Now, they took about a 60% cut in pay. They left behind all their house, the house, their kids, their grandkids, to be missionaries, evangelists, and church planters in Western Ukraine. And one of the people groups that they've focused on has been the Roma people, which we would call the gypsy people. And they planted a church there in the southwestern part of Ukraine among the Roma people in a village called Gat. Gat is right near the border of Ukraine and Hungary. So the Roma people mostly speak Hungarian, even though they're in the Ukraine. And most of the homes in Gat are two-room huts made of clay and made of wood. It is in one of those huts that a church was planted. And so living in that hut was a woman and her two daughters. One of the daughters is named Renata. Now, Renata uh, was in this home when the church started meeting there. And at the time, she'd been sick for years with, with infections, But when this church started, she didn't want to miss any of the services. So those first two months that the church met, she never missed a service. And after two months, she gave her life to Christ. She gave her life to Christ, this new church that was meeting in her home. Now, I asked Renata uh, just this week, you know, what was it that really drew her to the Lord? And she said that she had a lot of loneliness in her life. And when she realized that there was a God who was not far off, but one who was close, who loved her, it warmed her heart and drew her into belief in Christ. The hardest part for Renata has been uh, trying to live new because the gypsy lifestyle is one with excessive drinking, excessive substance abuse, excessive immorality. But she realized she was all in for Jesus. And so through Christ, she was able to get rid of all that stuff in her life. She was able to break up with her boyfriend, which was a very unhealthy relationship. And it's also a significant status symbol in the gypsy community to have that. It's very rare that people get married in the gypsy community, but she was able to distance herself from this and fully focus on Christ. She said, Jesus really transformed my life. And so she dove into her new faith in Christ, and here's what she started to do. She became a youth leader, 
a Sunday school teacher, and now leads an after-school tutoring ministry at this church in Gat. Uh, Renata was here uh, this weekend. She was able to join us this morning and spend some time sharing with us. She's at a, a Ukrainian church tonight sharing, so she couldn't share in person. But I just grabbed her and Emery so he could translate really fast because she wanted to say thank you to us, and she wanted to share a story of what uh, something God had been doing in that church recently. So here's just a quick interview from Renata and Emery from earlier today. So uh, here with Emery and uh, Rennie to hear a little bit uh, from Rennie, a testimony about what God is doing in Gat in Ukraine. So welcome to CVC. Üdvözlenek téged. Én is szeretettel köszöntöm a gyülekezetet. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. That's great. Well, what is God doing in Gat? What is a story of something that God has been doing in the church? Mondd el akkor azt a történetet, amit az Úr munkált a Gáti gyülekezetben, mondatonként. Egy nagyon-nagyon különleges történetet szeretnék elmondani, ami különleges az én számomra. I would like to tell you a very, very peculiar story. This is peculiar for me too. Ahol mi élünk, a romákot nagy része kosárfonásból él meg. In our gypsy camping hut, many people, actually most of the people live making baskets. So they are basket makers from willow stem. Van egy család a gyülekezetünkben. There is a family in our church. Ők kosárfonáshoz készültek, ezért meg kellett főzni a veszőt. They prepared for the next basket making process, but before that they had to boil the stem in a big pan on the furnace or the stove. Amikor levették ezt a négy éves kisfiúk beleesett. When they removed uh, this pan uh, from the stove, their four years old little son stumbled and fell. És nagyon megégett az arca, meg a karjai. Uh, her, his uh, face, shoulder and arms were terribly, terribly burned. Bevitték a kórházba. They brought him into the ER. És az orvosok azt mondták, hogy nem biztos, hogy életben marad. And the physicians say that uh, probably he will not be, will be alive. Ők felhívtak minket a gyülekezetből, hogy imádkozzunk értük. They called us, the church, and asked us to pray for this little son. His name is Roman. Az anyuka reggelig térdel, teljes bizalommal kért az urat, hogy gyógyítsa meg az ő gyermekét. The mother was just praying, fall on her knees and praying with total confidence and asked the Lord to heal her son. Egy hét múlva teljesen jobban lett a gyerek. In a week, the little boy was become absolutely better. Az orvosok azt mondták ahhoz, hogy helyre jöjjön az arca műtétre lenne szüksége. The physicians say that the complete recovery of his face would, need, would be needed a very expensive surgery. Nekik erre nem volt pénzük. Of course they didn't have enough money for this really expensive cosmetic surgery. És a gyülekezet továbbra is imádkozott érte, hogy az úr ajándékozza meg őt a saját kis arcával. 
and uh, the church continued the prayer and asked God that my Lord give him back his own wonderful little face. Négy hét után teljesen meggyógyult ez a kisfiú. Believe it or not, after four weeks, this boy was completely healed. Hazajött a család a kórházból, és ezután megtérés után az első lépés az volt, hogy ők összeházasodnak. They came home from the hospital, and their first step was to get married engedelmességből az úrnak, hogy ők rendezik az életüket. This was obedience for the Lord to arrange their life. That was not normal in the Gypsy Church. Tehát ez teljesen különleges dolog, mert nálunk nem szoktak összeházasodni az emberek a román. Uh, in the Gypsy camp that was a great peculiar step because it was absolutely not usual to get married officially among the Gypsies. És ez volt az első nagy lépés. That was their first great step. Oké, okay, köszönöm szépen. Thank you very much. Nagyon-nagyon köszönjük, és hálásak vagyunk azokért az adományokért, azért a segítségért, amivel támogatták a mi gyülekezetünket. And there is a great joy in our heart, and thanks for the donations, what the church sent us during the last week, years. Thank you very much. That's great. Well, we're excited about what God has done in your life. Nagyon, nagyon izgalmas látni azt, hogy a te életedben mit végzett az úr. And what God has done through the Laszlo's and Rini. Igen, az is nagyon érdekes, hogy lássuk, hogy látjuk, hogy az úr a Laszlo-ékon keresztül milyen munkát végzett a ti életetekben. We'll remember you and we'll be praying for you. Mi emlékezni fogunk rád, Renáta, és imádkozni fogunk érted. No, thank you very much. It was really neat to spend time with Rini. Uh, Rini is, it's kind of like Renata is like William and, you know, we would say Bill. Rini is short. Because just hearing what God was doing in her life and through her life. And realizing that's part of our, that's part of our spiritual family, right? They're being a chosen generation over there, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so you guys are part of that. Many of you have prayed, you've sent letters to the Laszlo's, you've given here, and that's fruit from our investment when we see God working in great ways. And what was just amazing was sitting with Rennie going, sitting with a gal who's a leader in a church where there once was no church. And God's doing a great thing. And that's part of our body. That's someone who realizes they have a special identity with a special purpose, and they have a special motivation to do it. And so if someone like Rennie can do that from her background and her challenges, then what's stopping us? We can do it too. Here's a couple things of application I want to invite you into as you uh, really process what you heard tonight and try to bring it home. One is, as you continue to work in your Living New study, just the next three weeks when you're in your study, it's all about being a servant. It's all about being a servant. So really open up your heart to say, God, how can I improve my serve? How can I serve in the community and outside the community well? Also, fully participate in your discussions and your life group this week. Like, really open up and share in a transparent way. Just take your transparency to another level in your life group on these issues. And by the way, if you're still newer here and you haven't been part of the study, just jump right in. Uh, all these lessons feel standalone each week, and so you can still jump right in. Also, I want to encourage you, there's a little book we have out in the Info Center. It's called I'm a Church Member. 
And the, and the word member here is not member like member of a club, but member as in a member of the body, as in your arm, as a member of your body. Now, some of you could really gain the benefit of learning what it means to be a more involved church member, a member of the body. And so pick up that book, maybe even take uh, our class coming up soon uh, called Explore CVC, where we dive into some of the intricacies of our church and invite you into formal membership. And so those are a couple of ways that you can participate and apply. One thing I want to encourage you guys to do is set a goal. That over the next three weeks, somehow, some way, you're going to really listen and learn and how you can improve as a servant, specifically in the body of Christ. So let's wrap it up in prayer, and then we're going to um, transition into a time of worship, and Pastor Nate and Brian will lead us in that and give us some instructions, but I'd love to pray with you guys before we wrap it up. Lord, thank you for the reminder about the special nature of the church. God, thank you that we truly are Uh, special people, God, that you have made us special, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we deserve, but God, simply because you've selected, you've chosen. God, thank you for calling us to a special purpose that we don't have to be like everyone else. We don't have to be like the world. We don't have to surrender to our lust and our desires, but we can see those restored into a, a more purified expression. God, I pray for everyone here that's struggling, Lord, everyone watching online that's struggling, that you'd help them. Uh, learn to live as an exile, spiritual exile, sojourner, Lord, in such a way that's pleasing to you, to keep the water out of the boat. (laughs) And God, remind us about how far you've taken us in Christ. And of that, Lord, if there's anyone here or someone watching online that doesn't have a relationship with you, that after hearing about that tonight, Lord, you'd give them the boldness to approach one of us or approach the Christian friend who brought them to find out more about how they can have new life in Christ. So Lord, we love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Amen.